Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. All right, got all that out of the system? We're ready. We're ready. We're in week two of our series, God Refocused. And I really hope that last week was a week that brought clarity But more than that, I also hope that it challenged you uh, because I I do believe that it's really easy. Uh, What happens in our life is that if we have a false expectation of God, what happens through that is that we are going to find something called disappointment. And as we get disappointed with God in severe cases or actually in many cases, it actually leads to disengagement from God. Because you don't know if you can trust God. You don't know if you can rely on God. And, uh, and when you have this disengagement from God, we spoke about how it actually disconnects you from the only one who actually knows how you've been created because He designed you. And therefore, you're actually disconnecting yourself from being able to truly find your meaning and purpose in life. When, when we go through uh, uh, studies on, on, on old age and uh, in psychology, one of the big things that were coming out is that people found out at the end of their life as they were reflecting through what had gone, uh, what they had achieved, a big thing that many people discovered is that they weren't actually doing the things that truly mattered to them. You know, I found this funny little comic uh, where this person was on his deathbed and he said, I wish I was on the internet more. I wish, I wish I had that little bit more time on Facebook. No one ever says that. Everyone wants to know that before you die, that you've done something significant with your life. And it's that, that significance and that plan and that purpose is only possible if you are in contact with one who knows how you've been created. And so that was last week's message. I'm sorry, I kind of dive back into it. I get really excited. And last week in particular, we uh, spoke about the question, is God intolerant? And you know, it's a a big question. I I believe it's an important question for you to uh, explore for yourself. Uh, But if you want a bit of help or you want the answers, last week we spoke about that. That podcast is available on our website completely free because we want to equip and resource you in your life. And so that's last week. I'm not going to be able to talk about that today because today I want to talk about another question. I want to talk about the question, does God really care? Does God really care? And this is how I think this question arises for many people, and that includes myself. Uh, We start with this perception that God is good and loving. And like we spoke about last week, that perception I believe is true. Who wants a God who is good and loving? Okay, so we've got five people that want a good and loving God. I don't know where else you guys are going to find peace and love and joy. If you want to find an angry um, despicable God, go, go for it. I want a good and loving God. Anyone else want a good and loving God? Yeah. And I hope that you, you are at least having your eyes open uh, over the, your life and over the journey. If you've been with us, that you see that God is good and loving. Uh, and with that perception that God is good and loving comes this expectation. So we're talking about this expectation that God is going to intervene on my behalf in a timely manner. What I mean by this is that, you know, when you have a kid that, uh, a newborn child, as Emily is, when she starts crying, she wants her parents by her side two minutes ago. 
You know what I mean? If the parents aren't there in a specified time according to their child's needs, there is this sense that the parents do not care. The child is experiencing neglect. You know, there's no point uh, uh, saving up food for your child for three days, but starving that child for that three days, and then giving all that food all at once. You know, that the, the child needs the food given to him or her in a timely manner. He's provided for in a timely manner. And I believe that that's where we've had a little bit of trouble uh, because uh, a little problem arises when we don't think that God has intervene in our life in a timely manner. You know, just on the weekend, uh, I heard about a person that really struggled uh, understanding whether he could trust God or not because he didn't get the job that he needed. And, and I think that that's something that is becoming more and more common because of the situation that our uh, uh, state finds itself in. There's a, a lack of jobs and a lot more people needing jobs in this current time. And that means there's a whole bunch of people that are turning to God and saying, God, I need a job. I need a way to make a living right now. And, and when God doesn't come through in the time frame that you have set for Him, it leads us to be disappointed. And it gives us a bit of a difficulty because we don't know whether we can trust God. Following me so far? And so that's the question that I want to deal with today. And I really hope that uh, it's something that will give you a new perspective of how God works, what He's trying to accomplish. And we're going to look at Mark 4, 35 to 41 as our focus passage this morning. I'm just going to read it out now. I think it should be, yes, it's on the screen. It's fantastic. It goes like this. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, them being the disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that the wind and the sea obey him? You know, Beck and I recently, we've gotten really into uh, the TV series called Lost. Anyone knows Lost? By J.J. Abrams. It first came out in 2004, back when I was a young tucker, going through my army days. Um, young tucker, not tucker. I was not for eating. Never was, never will be. Um, and, and, and we're we are currently re-watching it because I already watched like uh, one and a half seasons and I felt like it kind of lost its way a little bit. But my best mate said, no, 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 you have to watch the end. It, season three and four are pretty average, but season five kind of redeems itself and says like, okay, yeah, we'll, uh, just to relive my um, youthhood, which I've left a long time ago, uh, we're watching Lost. And Lost is created by a man named J.J. Abrams. And J.J. Abrams is really clever because he knows how to create suspense. And when you read the Bible, it doesn't have any suspense. It kind of goes bam, 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 bam. And I think you don't really get the emotion that is going on. And so if I may, I'm going to present to you a creative um, monologue on how I think J.J. Abrams might actually 
uh, play out this scene. And so you start on a beautiful day, maybe a bit like today, blue, sunny sky, uh, no clouds to be seen anywhere. Jesus and his disciples have been doing a whole bunch of stuff, which we will talk about a bit later. And, and they come to the Sea of Galilee. Uh, you've got to know that uh, three of the 12 disciples are fishermen. So they, you know, they, they, they choose the characters that look like they know what they're doing. So you know what I mean? When you see any TV show and then there's that, you, you just see that guy, like, that guy knows what he's doing. And I, it's like, that guy knows how to do stuff. Uh, it looks like a Boy Scout or a soldier or I don't know, but that guy knows his stuff. And so you, you see this group of 13 men, and you know that out of the 13 men, there are three in there that look like they know what they're going to be doing. And so they get into this boat, and Jesus has had a long day, and so he says, hey, guys, you guys look after this. We go to the other side. I'm just going to have a nap. Jesus falls asleep, and the men are all really having a great day. They've experienced some amazing stuff. And, and so they're singing songs like, hi-ho, hi-ho. Uh, maybe not. Maybe not. That's, they're not dwarfs. They are Jewish men, strong Jewish men. Let's get down to business. And so down the boat, they're having a great time. Uh, Peter, James, and John, they are the three fishermen. And so they're kind of telling everyone, hey, hey guys, yep, yep, get, get the sail going. This is what we're doing. And, and they're going along. And, and suddenly, you know, the music in the background is all really happy, you know, fiddly stuff. And like, da-da-da, everyone's lighthearted. And, and it's all nice and good. But then suddenly, you know, you know things change when suddenly the keyboarders decide to press the lowest note in the, in the keyboard and go, and suddenly the, the, the camera pans to, to Peter. I, I just like Peter, and so he pans to Peter, and there's a slight look of concern on his face. And when the guy that knows what he's doing has a slight look of concern on his face, you know something is up. And so it's like, oh, oh, okay, I know something is changing. I know something is up. Uh, uh, let's see what happens. The music has really kind of scaled back, and it's just really staying on a lowered register. And it's just like, are you, are you sensing this? Are you feeling this? Yeah, it's good. And, 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 and so there's a, suddenly Peter just begins to shout out, and he's like, hey, hey, Matthew, you need to do something about that. And, and, and there's the three fishermen are trying to organize the rest of the men around a boat, trying to make sure that they are going well and that they are going to make it to the other side. See, the Sea of Galilee is this weird bowl. It's, it's, it's kind of in a bowl. And what happens is that when the wind comes in, it stays in there, and it just begins to whip around and around and around like a mixer. And so Peter, James, and John, they been fishing all their life on the Sea of Galilee, and they sense that the wind was changing and something was going on. And so they knew that they could get into danger really quickly. And suddenly, uh, as they kind of rushing around, the camera goes back up to the sky, and suddenly the, it's like a, a, an eclipse. The, 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 the sun is gone. There's just dark, gray, ominous clouds. And, and it's just, oh my gosh, something is about to happen. And, and, and suddenly uh, the music starts to increase in its intensity. And, and it's always in a minor key. There's no, nothing major. There's nothing nice about this. It's just intense, uh, emotional, 
all frustration, anger, not anger, but, but, the, but just, just this intensity as the men are uh, running around. And, and then it kind of just, every now and then, you just get a glimpse of Jesus sleeping serenely in the stern of the boat, nothing uh, uh, budging him at all, while the men are kind of like jumping over him, trying to get to the different parts of the boat, and, and, and the music's increasing, and then you can now hear the roar of the wind, and it's beginning to whip around. The waves are crashing, not just against the boat now, but it's actually getting into the boat, and the men are shouting out, and then it, it cuts to Peter. Peter is now in, he's in panic. You can see in his eyes, something is definitely not right. This is dangerous moments. And, and Peter, he's kind of like, he doesn't know what to do. When the guy that always knows what to do doesn't know what to do, that is a moment in the TV show where it's like, oh my gosh, someone's going to die. You know, and I, what I hated about Lost is that when they died, it was like this little black cloud that kind of grabbed people. Anyway, side note. In this one is, is a real uh, uh, natural disaster story, and, and Peter is panicking, and so he does what he knows how to do. He goes to Jesus, and he shakes him. You can barely hear his voice above the storm, above the wind, above the, the minor music, and, and as, as it's increasing, and you can just hear, Jesus, Jesus. You can see his lips going. You can kind of hear something going on, but, but it's kind of being swept away. And then you just hear this line cutting across everything. Do you even care? And then the logo comes up to the front. And then if you're back, you say, you can't stop there. You know what I mean? That's the thing I've been hearing a lot over the last couple of weeks. You can't stop there. It's like, one more, one more, one more. <laughs> and I think that if, if I was directing this scene, that's how it would have looked like. There was a lot of uh, emotion. There was a lot of tension that was going on in this story. There were 12 men that were fearing for their lives. And they were definitely feeling disappointed that Jesus was still sleeping in the midst of their turmoil. There was a storm that was about to claim their lives, and all Jesus could think about was to sleep. But I think what we need to do in order to understand what Jesus was doing, and whether he cared or not, is to really zoom out and to understand what was going on. You see, in Israel in those days, they had been conquered by Rome, and so they were under Roman rule. And what the Romans had done is that they placed governors and, and prefects and all those kind of people in charge of Israel. And so there was a bit of, the Israelites hated it. The, the Jewish people hated uh, the governors and the prefects because they saw it as an occupation. They did not like those people. And so in the process of doing so, what happened is that the religious class of people, of the Jewish people, actually became quite powerful. They became a bit of a ruling class. And part of that is that they had these people called teachers or experts of the law or rabbis. And, and what the rabbis uh, would do is that they would teach, they would become famous for their teaching, and parents would actually bring their young child to this teacher, give a large sum of money to that teacher, and say, please train my child. And so this is to ensure the financial viability of that child. Because that child would train under this renowned teacher and would take on uh, that title. So it would kind of maybe be something like Robin 
uh, student of Nate. And because she's student of Nate, she actually has a bit of name for herself. And over time, being student of Nate, she might have her own students with parents bringing large sums of money to her in order to train their children. That's kind of how this whole scene was working. Rabbis became respected, rich people. That was uh, the scene of what was going on. And then Jesus comes along and Jesus changes everything because instead of waiting for people with money to come to him to buy his services as a teacher, Jesus actually went around and chose people to be part of his discipleship group. He went around and he chose people that really didn't look like the religious class are supposed to look. As we mentioned, there were three fishermen. These are uneducated, rough men. They're not really known for what's in there. They're known for what they can bring in using their hands. But yet Jesus chose those three men to be part of his 12. And then he chose a tax collector. A tax collector was the most abhorred. He was a hated man in Jewish community because he was seen to be siding with the Roman Empire. They hated him, but yet Jesus chose him. And then on the other side of the spectrum, there was a man who was actively rebelling against the Roman Empire. He was like, all right, you'll do. Come on in. None of these guys... We're actually paying Jesus anything. And this was a bit strange because these men would never have thought that a teacher, a rabbi, would ever choose them. It didn't happen. It was an amazing, mind-boggling thing. And so when these 12 men started to follow Jesus, they, 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 they did not know what they were in for. Not that any of us would know what we're in for. We follow Jesus around for a day. But these men devoted the next three years of their lives in following Jesus. And at the start of it, I'm kind of thinking, man, these guys really did not know what they were in for. And at the point in time in this story, uh, or this account that we just read about Jesus coming in a storm, it was still early days. Uh, the, uh, The disciples had just begun to get to know this Jesus man a little bit. And they just had probably one of the best days of following Jesus. You see, if you read in in Mark chapter 4, which uh, uh, recounts the same, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 8, sorry. If you want to read in Matthew chapter 8, it recounts the day's events leading up to the storm. And, and, And the first thing that happens in that chapter is that Jesus comes across a man with leprosy. Leprosy was an incurable disease. Leprosy was a death sentence, but not only was it a death sentence, it was also a social uh, 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 death sentence. These men who had leprosy were commanded to live outside the city walls, and if they were ever to walk inside the city walls, they were supposed to be walking around shouting, unclean, unclean. They did not want anyone to touch these men because they did not know how to contain this disease. But Jesus heals this man. Imagine being one of the 12 men. They're like, I have just struck it rich. I can now say I was student of the man that just cured leprosy. Ka-ching. Can you see what's going on? These are men. These are not like saints. Maybe they become saints a little bit later. But at this moment, I think they only followed Jesus for maybe a few months. And, and it's like, he, he heals leprosy. We can say we're students of the man that heals leprosy. It's pretty cool. You guys, I don't know if you guys are seeing this. I'm trying to make this as exciting as possible. I'm going to lose my voice by the end of today if it means that you laugh and have a good time. Uh, but, but these, it's like, okay, so they healed a man with leprosy. And then they go on. And then Jesus is approached by a Roman centurion, an enemy, 
And this Roman centurion comes up to Jesus and begs Jesus and says, Jesus, my daughter is dying. She needs your help. I know you're a healer and she needs your help. Jesus is moved with compassion and agrees to bring healing to this uh, uh, centurion's daughter and says, all right, lead the way, we'll go to your house. And the centurion does something that completely blows Jesus' mind. There's only twice in the whole Bible that Jesus is astonished at a person. And this was one of those occasions because the centurion actually said to Jesus, my house is not worthy to have you there. I'm not worthy of your time. I'm not worthy of your presence. But I know that if you say that she'll be healed, she will be healed. And that's all I need. And so Jesus was astonished and said, I have not found this kind of faith in all of Israel. And he says, you've got that healing. And in that very moment, that daughter was healed. Can you imagine what those 12 disciples were now experiencing? Leprosy? doesn't even need to go to that person's house and to get healed. Flip, man, this is a good deal. I'll follow this guy everywhere. And then not only that, they keep going and they come to Peter's house. And Peter's mother-in-law is that they find her actually bedridden with a fever. Jesus heals her. And at that point, it became known that Jesus was in the region. And a whole big crowd of people descend on that place because they are looking for healing. They're looking for their breakthrough. They're looking for Jesus to do something for them. And the Bible tells us that Jesus ministered to the crowd. We don't know how many people were there. And I think that the person probably got uh, uh, really busy at crowd control and forgot to write down who was getting healed of what. All we know is that a whole bunch of people were getting healed. It was an exemplary day. I wish I was one of those disciples to be able to witness what Jesus was doing in that one day. Can you imagine the faith that would be lifted in you if you knew that God could heal leprosy, He could heal over distance, He could heal crowds of people? There was nothing too hard for this man. That's an amazing God to follow. And so it stands in stark contrast to what was about to happen. And I believe that what was about to happen is so important that three of the four Gospels actually include it in the account of Jesus' life. There are four Gospels in the Bible. They tell different perspectives of what Jesus did. And not all the stories appear in all of them. But this story of Jesus coming the storm appears in three of the four accounts. It is a significant account. It is a highly significant account. It's an account that every disciple that's recounting the life of Jesus went, we need to put that one in. That one is so important. Something happened that day that I can't forget. But when it was happening, it wasn't a great time. It was a time of disappointment and it was a time of hurt. I believe that those disciples were like, I want a Jesus that heals. But I don't want to get into any boat with this man ever again. He sleeps when there's a storm. We're running around with our heads chopped off, and he's sleeping. Anyone ever felt like following Jesus is a bit of a disappointment? You're going through life, and and I find it's sometimes like we have faith for God to do something for someone else. Yeah, 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 Jesus, Jesus heals, yeah, cool them but then when it's something for us if it's not done in the time frame of our choosing the question isn't so much how long do I persevere in my faith the question is does he even care 
And, and I've seen that in my life. You know, I, I've, Beck and I have had an interesting year leading you mob. <laughs> I've lost half my hair. I had my hairdresser kind of help me to still look like I've got stuff. And on top of that, we're trying to sell our house and it's been on the market for 11 months now. We've had to drop its valuation by more than 10%. We are probably having uh, a last home open for the year today and we'll see what happens and it's disappointing. I was basing a lot of our financial viability on that, the sale of that house. And I was basing a lot of plans on the sale of that house. We wanted to be in Vic Park. We want to serve this community. And yet that stuff didn't happen. And it's really easy in those moments to go, you know, the other people, that, that person, that, you know that really annoying other person that comes to you and says, I saw my house in like two days. It's like, oh, shoot you. I'll feed you to my dogs. I don't have a dog. I will buy a dog and feed you to the dog. You know those kind of moments? So I'm not supposed to say that out loud. I have a past life. But you know what I mean? You, you, you kind of like in this space and other people are having their breakthrough. And I, God is great and God loves me. And so, but he doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. Peter ran up to Jesus and I'm like, don't you care? I think that's such an important thing to note that he was worried that Jesus was in a boat with him, but he didn't care. And he was worried that he got into the wrong boat. And I believe that there are many people that are actually wandering in their life. Am I in the wrong boat? Have I got into the wrong boat? Because this Jesus fella, he's not working according to the right time frame. And I don't know if he cares enough for me. But there's something that I've learned across this year. Is that God is actually more interested in the process that he's bringing me through than the result that I've been hoping for. And I know that sounds like he really doesn't care, but it's actually so far from the truth. See, something that's really interesting that's come up that I've been following is that some experts, some, some people that have studied society and culture and people, they're starting to say that the next generation of people are growing up without the necessary life skills for success. And that they're saying that this lack of life skills that people are needing in order to, to survive and to see success in their lives is happening because, and I don't say this uh, to, to, towards any person because I don't know what your parenting skills are like or whatever, but what we're seeing in our generation is that parents are rescuing kids far too quickly. Parents are stepping in and intervening in their children's life far too quickly. You know, just maybe 20, 30 years ago, no parent would go up to a teacher and question the teacher's ability to teach. But that's happening on an increasing um, amount today. And I, I was hoping for the teachers to all go, amen. <laughs> well, maybe I'm all alone here. That's okay. I'll deal with that. And I did, 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 did. Your, your child doesn't get the result that he deserved or she deserved. And suddenly it's the teacher's fault. Right? We've got playgrounds that you can't play on anymore because we're so scared that the kid could damage themselves. You know, we, we've, we've got signs and everything. Box of peanuts may contain peanuts. <laughs> oh, what the heck is going on? Why are we intervening in a person's ability to learn? 
And we end up with a generation of young people that actually don't know how to deal with disappointment. They don't know how to deal with things that don't go their way. They are grown up with a Macus attitude. If I want something, I drive through it, I get what I want, and I will always get what I want, when I want, as quickly as I want. And there's a problem in there because we have ended up with a highest suicide rate amongst young males in the world. Australia, wake up. We have got young men dying on a daily basis because they don't know how to handle disappointment. As a youth pastor a few years ago, it, it really ripped my heart. When after a Friday night, we were done, we were driving home, and got a call from one of our youth leaders, and she calls up and says, Nate, um, got this problem. I got one of our young girls saying that she wants to commit suicide. And as a, as a pastor, part of our training is that when you hear a person say suicide, it's a big deal. You don't, you don't, you don't dismiss it. And, but I was trying to find out, okay, what's the situation? What's the level of risk at, at that moment in time? And, and so I was saying, so what happened? What was the trigger? And she said, my dad didn't want to buy me a new hairdryer. Sure, it was possibly the straw that broke the camel's back. But what a pitiful straw. What a pitiful straw that broke the camel's back. I don't know that girl very well. I don't know what was going on in her life. There was probably a whole bunch of stuff going on. But this I know, she didn't know how to handle disappointment. And what we need to understand is that God cares enough for you not to give in to your every demand. God cares enough for you not to give in to your every wish. God cares enough for you not to stop every storm the moment it starts in your life. But God cares enough for you to lead you through the process because it's only through the process that you find the stretch. Notice that when Peter actually got Jesus awake, the first thing Jesus did was to calm the storm. No one was hurt. They got across to the other side. But then after that, Jesus took it as a learning moment I think he, he calls the 12 to him and he says, guys, I healed the man with leprosy. I healed the centurion's daughter. I handled that, that, that crowd of people. And you think I don't care? You know, some people ask me, how do I handle disappointment? And it's a legitimate question. I think I'm the kind of person that doesn't look like anything affects me. But it does. It really sometimes does. And the disappointment that hits home, it's, 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 it's difficult. And it's difficult to work past. And it's quite quick. It's easy to go, God, why? Why are you doing this? But through my journey, I'm definitely still going through my journey, I, re I realize that the disappointment comes when my focus is on the result rather than on the fact that Jesus is in my boat. When I'm wanting my breakthrough now and Jesus is in my boat but he's not doing anything that I want him to do, that's when the disappointment happens. But when I start to look at Jesus, who's in my boat with me, and I realize that no matter what happens, if Jesus is in the boat with me, it's going to be okay. Then I don't worry about the result because the result will come when it needs to come. But it can help me through this process that I'm going through right now. See, I don't speak as a guy who struggled with cancer or something crazy like that. If that is your situation, 
You know, I, I understand that it's not easy. It's, it's, like, it's easy for you to say when Jesus is in your boat, but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what chemo has done to me. I, I don't know what it's like to, to have a family and have children depending on me and losing my job and not knowing what to do. And, and it's easy for me to say up front, when Jesus is in your boat, it's all okay. But the truth is that all of us have to go through those storms. You know why? Because God has a plan and a purpose for you that is huge. And if you stay on this side of the, of the sea, you will never get across to the other side. You will never get to the things that God wants you to. There is a storm that is going to happen in your life that is not there just to shake you up, but is there to help you learn and to help you grow. It's to help you stretch and is to help you get ready for the more that God has got for you. See, Jesus is more uh, consumed with helping you be a healthy, whole, faith-filled, person but so many of us are choosing to get out of the boat before the storm really hits and so many of us are throwing away the more that God has got for us because a storm looks too big and Jesus seems to be asleep is God slow feels like it but he's never slow does God care yes he does he doesn't always show it in the way that we like it Sometimes I think that I'm just a kid that wants another lolly and God's saying no. Now I'm throwing this big tantrum like my dad doesn't care. And Jesus is like, this is for your sake. You know, we, we, we've got this vision for 2017. We've hashtagged it. If you want to jump on this hashtag, you're more than welcome to. It's called Stronger 17. Stronger 17. I believe that God is going to bring trials and storms like never before. So encouraging, Nate. Go to that church. He will tell you that everything's going to go wrong. <laughs> I'd rather not candy coat this. We want to get stronger. We want to get bigger. We want to have a larger influence in our lives. We want to do the things that God's placed in our heart. We're not willing to jump in a boat when the storm's coming. It's not easy. But nothing easy brings you to the place that you really need to be. We all look for easy ways out. We do. I do. I look for the simple, quick fixes. That's what our culture tells us we need. That's what the culture tells us that we should be aiming for. And Jesus is saying, let's walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Psalm 23. How amazing is that psalm? Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. He will provide everything for me. Next moment, let's walk through this valley of the shadow of death. It's like, ooh, good shepherd. That's a bit of a stretch, God. I was like, yes, you need to go through the valley of the shadow of death. And it's in those moments that you will find that God's rod and his staff, they will not fail. Jesus didn't fail his disciples. Jesus wasn't, Jesus this is how I think about this story. When he says, why are you afraid? Do you not have any faith? This is what I think Jesus was really getting at. He was saying, you know I care. You know I care. But in that moment, the storm caused you to doubt. But you know I care. Too many of us are going through life more concerned about the storm, more concerned about the results 
then knowing and staying in that place where Jesus cares. Knowing that whatever's going on is great. Now, I need to give a shout out to Sandy Mortimer. We love Sandy. She's great. And as when we caught up with her, she did let us know that the knee reconstruction that she's recently gone through wasn't an easy thing for her. And it was a bit of an emotional roller coaster. But she tells us, I think I know why I'm having this situation. Because she got to share the gospel with someone in her, in, in, in her, in her what do you call it, ward? In her, in her ward. And she's like, it's okay. I, this is good because I got to share the gospel. And I'm like, flip, man. <laughs> Jesus is in that boat. And then I get all flustered. I haven't sold my house. And I'm like, it's like, hang on, where's Jesus? Uh, yep, you're still in the boat. You're still sleeping? Not, it's not time yet? Okay. I'm not saying it's easy. But I'm saying we need to grow. I'm saying there needs to be a stretch in our lives. I'm saying that Jesus cares. He cares more than you can understand. He cares more than you can see. He cares more than you could ever imagine. He's got stuff prepared. You know, I've, I've decided in my life, I don't want to worry and I don't want to live racked with anxiety about what's happening to my tomorrow because I've got Jesus in my boat. Even if my life ends today, I step into an afterlife. I step into a forever where my God is always in control and He's got that ready. Right now, there's this stretch of life that I'm going through. It is a valley of the shadow of death. Let me just tell you a truth. You're all going to die. It's going to happen. I love to be cheering that. Die. Yeah. It's going to happen. But I know that my future, my forever is in God's hands. So whatever comes my way right now doesn't really matter. And if I can trust God with my every day and my forever, I can trust God now. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, no matter what comes my way, no matter how much water is coming into my boat, no matter how much it looks like Jesus is, in, is, is ineffective and He's still sleeping and it looks like He doesn't care, I know His heart is that He cares. And He cares enough to let me go through this because He's got more for me. He's got so much more for me. I told you I'm going to shout myself hoarse. Don't talk to me after this because I can't talk to you. You can talk at me. I wonder if we get the band up this morning. I'm preaching myself happy because this is something that I know I need. I know next year is going to be, it's going to have its storms. No one in this room believes or oh, if you do, maybe this is a correction, but being with Jesus doesn't take away the storms. Being with Jesus takes away the worry, takes away the anxiety. It takes away the disappointment. It takes away all those stuff. If we know how to see God right, if we know how to gaze into the eyes of our Savior and say, I know you care. I'm going to trust you with this. Some people here need to meet with that Jesus. The Jesus that is fighting by your side. He's in your boat. I love that the Bible says that He will never leave us or forsake us. Doesn't mean it doesn't feel like it. But I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you're sitting right next to someone, but 
you don't really feel it. It doesn't mean the person's not there. You can go to a cinema and be sitting with 200 people watching Star Wars and still think that you're alone. In the same way, we can be with Jesus and sometimes not know that He's there. But He's there. And He cares intimately. The Bible says that He has numbered the hairs on your head. For some of you, it's not that big a deal. I'm getting to there. He says He's numbered the days of your life and He holds you in His hand. Some of us have a relationship with a God that is calculative and mean-spirited. And you serve a God that you think that He'll only do something nice for me if I do something nice for Him. It's this exchange system that's going on. But the Jesus that I serve isn't like that. See, if Jesus does nothing else for me, one thing I'm sure of is that He's given me enough. If I walk out of here and I die, it doesn't take away from the fact that God loves me because He's already proven that. And the proof that Jesus did that was on that cross when He died for your sin, when He died to take away your need to prove yourself, where He died to take away your confusion about who you could be and all that good stuff that God has planned for you. He, 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 he paid the price so that you could have all of that. He paid the price so that you would not have to worry about a single moment of your life. That's the God that I serve. That's the God that I have to remember when things start to get a bit shaky. And this God, he's, he's right now, I believe, starting to talk to people. He's starting to say, I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm here fighting for you. I'm on your side. You don't have to worry about that stuff. Some of the stuff that you want, you shouldn't even be needing to want that kind of stuff. I've got something so much better. But it all starts off with this point of saying, God, I surrender. And I want you in my life. I want you in my boat. I want to take this journey with you. I want to walk through this process with you. So if we can get every head bowed, every eye closed, there's a moment between people and God. Take this moment and see that God is wanting to speak into your life. Would you want to invite Jesus into your life? Knowing that He's He's awesome. He's great. He cares intimately for you. He cares for you more than you could ever imagine. Would you like to invite that God into your life? I'm going to count to three, and if you would like to invite Jesus into your life, I'm going to lead you into a prayer of inviting Jesus into your life. The Bible says that if you declare with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that day you receive salvation. It's as easy as that. God has not restricted access, but He's given you the key, and right now He's giving you that key. So I'm going to count to three, and at the count of three, if you want to accept Jesus into your life, all you have to do is put your hand up and then back down so that we know who we're praying for, and then we're going to say that prayer, and we're going to get Jesus into our heart. You ready? I'm going to count to three now. One, two, three. Awesome. Fantastic. Is there anyone else here? 
Awesome. Once you put your hand up, you can put it back down again. This is so cool. Is there anyone else that wants to accept Jesus into their life? It's going to give you one more moment. Fantastic. Let's say this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I know I've sinned. I know I've fallen short. And I'm sick and tired of trying this out by myself. So I invite you into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lift, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.